Okay, Colossians chapter one, let's dig in. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works Within me, this is the word of the Lord. So we've been on this passage for basically three weeks. The first week I talked about the idea of Paul completing in his flesh the sufferings of Jesus, which still remain in order to bring life to the body. We know that by his wounds we are healed. We know that he suffered in his flesh, in the tree, on the tree, in order that we might be, when we were enemies of God, we, covered in our shame, we then were grabbed and God put us in Christ and then in Christ put that old nature to death so that we died on this cross with Jesus. He died for us, but he did not die instead of us. He died as us. And so that his suffering completed what was necessary to bring us home to God and make us sons and daughters forgiven with righteousness on the inside, brand new hearts, eternity secured, and a perfect relationship with the Father right here and right now. Finished work of Jesus. So Paul then says, that's the finished work, but what about the unfinished work? The unfinished work is that in order for people to get in on this, that same gospel has to be manifested, has to be demonstrated, has to be revealed, has to not just be spoken about, but has to be seen so that it can be received and understood rightly. And so Paul understands that when Jesus calls him to come follow him, that it means that he will live as Jesus lived, that he will walk as Jesus walked, that he will suffer in his fellowship with Jesus, and that just as Jesus' suffering was redemptive so that death was at work in Jesus but life at work in others, Paul understands that the call, understands that the call for every single one of us is death at work in us, self-denial, death laying down our life, Forgiving, self-giving love, enemy love, death death in us, life in others. We're always carrying around, says Jesus, the death of, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, we're always carrying around in our bodies the death of Jesus in order that the life of Jesus might be revealed through us. That was sermon one. Sermon two, last week we talked about what shall we do with the church? In other words, we were hitting on the issue of This attitude of Paul, that the church is the treasure of Jesus, the church is the treasure of Jesus, that caused Paul to say, then I'm going to lay down my life and suffer to bring the church to the fullness of Jesus, is completely missing in a lot of people's mindsets. They think of church as something to get something from for their benefit, comfort, pleasure, convenience, and so forth. And so we looked last time at 
like, what are we supposed to do with the church? And we gave eight pointers. I'm not going to go over them again, but you can go back and listen to them. That the church is worth the blood of Jesus and it's worth your blood. It's worth your sacrifice. She's worth your laying down your life. She's worth your giving up your stuff to prioritize. And last night, if you were at the foundry, you heard, you heard uh, what's his name? Brian Connolly. That's hilarious that my brain just said, nah, I'm not going to give you his name. Go to the book of Haggai where it says, is this a time to be building your own nice houses when the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Is this a time to be going after your own fulfillment when the people of God need to be beautified with the characters and virtues and powers and graces of Jesus? Is this a time for you to be running after this stuff, this earthly stuff, this carnal stuff that the whole, that every other human on planet earth runs after instead of the kingdom stuff? That's a good, good, good word. And now this time I want to go just a little further in this passage and talk about the mystery that for ages past was hidden but has now been revealed in the saints. That's verse 25 and 26. Paul says that he's a minister. That's a fancy word for servant. But he's not just a servant who shows up and says, hey man, whatever you need to do, I'll do it. It's fascinating to me that biblical servanthood does not put other people in charge of you. You can nod your head. Biblical servanthood means you will serve people even if they don't want you to. In the thing God called you to do for them, whether they want you to or not. Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter said, you can't do that. So Jesus was Peter's servant, but Peter was uppity about it. Because it wasn't a democracy. You catching what I'm saying? When Paul says he's the, he became the servant of the church, he specifically means I'm here to give you the word whether you want me to, and I'm here to give you the truth whether you like it or not. But I'm here to serve you. You might not see it now, you might not appreciate it now, but one day, if you get it, you will. And I'm here, says Paul, to proclaim, to make the word of God fully known. Now that's a fascinating, in the Greek it just says here to, he's here to perfect the word. He's here to bring the fullness to the word. He's here to complete the word. Well, that's fascinating. We know that he could do a perfect job preaching and nobody get the message. He could do an absolutely fantastic job preaching. He could walk into a town, he could preach the word perfectly, he could preach the gospel perfectly. Nobody understand, no gospel lights come on, no pennies drop, no bells ring, no eyes light up, and he could just leave the next town. He could listen back to the recording and go, man, I nailed it. But that's not his attitude. His attitude is it's not about how well I'm preaching, it's about how much of the gospel you're understanding and receiving and getting in on. So he's your servant He's your servant to keep at it and keep after it persistently and diligently toiling until you are brought to the fullness in Christ. It's not enough for him to just say, I preached a good sermon, it's good enough, let's go home. He's got his eyes on the church and he keeps coming back. Okay, they didn't get it, let's try from a different angle. Okay, they didn't get it, let's try from a different angle. Okay, they didn't get it, let's try from a different angle. And he's here to make the word of God fully known. If the word of God, word of God can be fully known, then that means at least two other things, right? It means it can be not known at all, and it means it can be partially known. There's some people, they've heard the gospel their whole life, but they don't actually know it. And there's some people, they've heard the gospel their, their whole life, and they know part of it. I would raise my hand to say, I'm in the probably no part of it category. And Paul said, it's possible 
Who remembers the story of uh, a powerful evangelist named Apollos? You remember what was happening? Priscilla and Aquila hear this man talking about Jesus on, su- on the Lord, not on Sunday, on Saturday, in the, in the Sabbath, on the Sabbath in synagogue. They hear him powerfully talking that Jesus is the Messiah of God. And then it says this, and they took him aside and more adequately explained the word to him. He's a powerful preacher, anointed of the Spirit. He can powerfully refute those who say Jesus is not the Messiah. But when they hear him, they say, oh, wait, he's missing a whole lot of stuff. It's possible to be in this thing for a long time, to be in this thing for years, and still have so much more that that you need to get. Abraham, Abraham was righteous by faith, but he wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. Abraham received a promise to him and his seed, his functional need, his functional desire, Abraham's deep yearning hunger, his, his thing that he thought would complete him in life was if he would have an enduring family and an enduring name. And God satisfied that, but ultimately the seed of Abraham, according to Paul, is not Isaac. But who? But Jesus. It's possible to come to God for what you think is your answer that God's going to give you, but once you find God, he switches it and Jesus then becomes your real treasure. And it's not until Jesus becomes the treasure that's revealed to you and actually becomes your treasure that you will actually have joy. There's a fullness of joy that's offered to us in the gospel. But until you learn what you have and until you learn to want what you have, you won't learn to be extremely grateful and joyful about what you have. If what God's giving you is not what you want, that's a different sermon and I'm going to restrain myself. There's a whole message about functional saviors, functional gods, functional hell. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? How do you know what your functional false God is? It's what you're afraid of. It's what you think will save you and what you're afraid to lose. Look at what you fear to see what you trust in. That's a whole separate sermon. And I'll just finish that thought real quick and say, there were two spies when they spied out the land of Canaan that said, we can take the giants. There were 10 spies that spread an evil report. An evil report. Report. And the evil report was, we can't handle it. They are going to kill us. The two spies said, this is not an issue of what we're capable of. This is an issue of faith. Do you remember in the book of Revelation, where it describes those who are outside of the gates of the city of God? And one of the things, liars, adulterers, fornicators, and then there's this one. Cowards. That's interesting. Cowards? You think God, God says cowards go to hell. 
So your soul-gripping fear that causes you to shrink back from Jesus, he calls a sin, not a personality profile. Oh, I'm just really scared by nature, God. No, the, the issue, the issue when, when the spies came back, Moses says, why were you fearful and rebelled against the Lord? That's interesting, right? Yeah. Rebelling, God counts cowardice as rebellion against the Lord. Why? How did I even get on this topic? I have no idea. You guys are hilarious. Thanks for giving me a lot more credit than I would give myself on that. That's a whole separate sermon that I want to preach sometime soon on functional. What's your functional hell? A lot of people's functional hell isn't actually going to hell. A lot of people's functional heaven isn't actually going to heaven. A lot of people's functional savior isn't actually Jesus. A lot, of, a lot of people's functional, the thing that they think will fulfill them and complete them, it's not actually Jesus, which is why they don't have joy. Until your heart is transformed, until your mind and heart are transformed so that you want what he's giving, you won't have the joy you're called to have, that you're gifted in grace that you could have. Right? Like, if all you want is a man, then Jesus will not be enough for you. If all you want is a reputation, then Jesus is not enough for you. If all you want is to succeed, then Jesus will not be enough for you. If all you want is to have security and have enough in the, in the savings account that you could live for 40 years without ever having to work a day, then Jesus is not enough for you. We have so many gods that are functioning as our gods. And I, now I know where I got here. Partial gospel where we kind of have a little bit of gospel that we believe, but we're not, actually, we're not actually in the fullness of the gospel. Jesus is not the treasure to us that the gospel actually says he is. And Paul says, I make it my goal to fully make the word of God known. Not just do a good job proclaiming it, but I want it to be known. I want people to be walking in it. I want, I want to see the lights come on. I want to see Jesus in the church. I want to see Jesus taking up residence in the church. And he says, this mystery that I'm commissioned, that I'm spending my whole life to try to explain to people, this mystery wasn't always known, but now it is. This mystery, that's fascinating that he calls the gospel a mystery that was hidden. Abraham, this is where I went. Ah, now I'm starting to remember where I got there. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. He looked forward to my day. He longed for my day. That's John chapter eight. Peter says, even the angels have been peering into the unveilings, the, the happenings of God as he's been preparing the way for the Messiah and then the Messiah comes and then he's crucified, twist. It's a plot twist. Oh no. Then he raises him. Oh my goodness, what is happening now? The angels in heaven are freaking out. They, he let him kill their, how could he let them kill his son? Did you hear what they said to him? Do they know who he is? Can you imagine being the, the angels with your swords drawn and the deep desire to put vengeance on the enemies of God as they surround Jesus and they slap him in the face, put a, put a crown of thorns on his head, put a purple robe on him to mock him, and they hit him with the stick and they slap him and punch him and pull out his beard and they say, prophesy. Christ, who hit you? Can you imagine being those angels like, oh, come on, please, just let me take off his head. 
knowing the glory of the one that's here. You know, if you don't have any power to hurt someone, your kindness isn't actually mercy. If I'm gonna get beat up at the store, if I try to stop a robbery, I'm not really being that virtuous to stand by and not hurt the robber. If I'm like a fifth degree black belt and I can take his head off without any effort and I instead just put him in a chokehold until the cops come, I was merciful. Do you understand that Jesus, in his entire incarnation, every time he was rejected, misunderstood, accused, was revealing God so much more because of the power and the authority and the dignity and the worth can you imagine being the angel? Even the angel, says Peter, long to look into these things. The angel's have been trying to figure out what is Abba up to? What is Father God even doing with these fools? I bet they just can't understand his love for us. And then he goes and sends his son. But it wasn't just the Old Testament saints that didn't know. And it wasn't just the angels that didn't know. Paul's like, nowadays people don't even know. But, the, but God's been unveiled in Jesus. The mystery's been revealed. And you go, what mystery? Well, I think we get a clue when we cross-reference some of the other writings of Paul. If we look to Philippians chapter 3, where Paul talks about his Jewishness and how great an example of Jewishness he was. Circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees in regard to the law Faultless. In terms of zeal, nobody is up as far as me persecuting the church. Come on, guys. You want to talk about the old model that we thought was what God wanted? And what is the, what is the summary of what, of what they thought was the gospel? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And what's the mystery that's revealed? but having a righteousness from God that is by faith in Christ. Let me translate. Not me, not me being the source of this real and true self that endures forever, but God giving me everything as a gift on Jesus' behalf because of Jesus' faithfulness. Paul says that's the mystery that's revealed. The mystery that's been revealed is that all the life is found in Jesus and you don't earn it. The mystery that's revealed is it used to be you trying hard to obey a law that was outside of you. I guarantee you it's possible to be a charismatic and turn prayer meetings and gifts of the spirit and healing people and going after intimacy with God into a new legalism. I guarantee it, guarantee it. How is that any different than making sure you keep your dietary stuff and honor the Sabbath and, and make sure you tithe on your mint and your spices and make sure you do this because if you'll do all this stuff, then God will be with you. And if we pray and fast hard enough, then God will be with us. And if we, if we really get this thing ratcheted up to 10, we can get going and we can get moving. If we don't, it's gonna be all our fault. And Paul's like, guys, don't ever get disconnected from grace. Don't ever get disconnected from the free gift of Christ in you. Everything you need is in Christ and everything that you need is offered to you now 
without you doing anything to get it other than saying, I receive. You don't even have to become Jewish, he says. That's why this mystery is revealed, the greatness of this mystery revealed, which is Christ in you. Among the Gentiles, it was revealed. You don't even have to become Jewish. You don't even have to accept the law. And you go, well, that's lawlessness. That's gonna lead to sin. No, it isn't. If Jesus becomes your treasure, if he becomes your treasure and if he comes and makes up, takes up residence, let's talk about the word Christ just for a second. Jesus Christ is not, like Jesus is not his first name, Christ is not his last name. Christ is Mashiach. It's the Hebrew word that means anointed. In the Old Testament, when someone was placed in a position of leadership, God would fill them with his influence. He would affect and influence their heart and their mind so that they would become empowered or enabled to lead God's people effectively. And the prophets often would pour oil on such a person to signify it like a a prophetic symbol of God putting his spirit on that person. What's a spirit, guys? Is that my water, Israel? What is a spirit? Well, old school, we used to say, oh, do you believe in ghosts? I think it's time for us to believe in ghosts again. What is a ghost? It's a person who's no longer in their body, right? What do you mean a person? Is, is something happening up here? What is it? Oh, it's the light. <laughs> oh. So a, a ghost is a disembodied person. What do you mean a disembodied person? You mean the consciousness or the personality or the thoughts, that thing that is aware of itself that has thoughts and has memory and has a sense that I am me and I am not you and I am moving through time. That's a ghost, right? Okay, so let's say God has a ghost. Let's say God has a self that knows I am me and I am not then and I have thoughts and I have opinions and I have memories. And let's say that God's ghost was disembodied. Let me help us a little bit, get a, get a handle on this. Let's say you could download Israel. Let's say you could upload Israel, who you are, to a computer so that when your body dies, you could go on living. That'd be pretty cool. Would you do that? But let's say you did. And let's say, so your consciousness now, you're aware, you're self-aware, your thoughts, your personalities, your memories, everything that is about you except your body is, is in that computer because the software that you uploaded your consciousness to is operating on that computer. And let's say then you took a jump drive and, you, and I uploaded your consciousness from that computer to the jump drive and then I took it to Rusty and Linda's house and I installed it on their computer. Now your consciousness is operating at our house and your consciousness is operating at their house and their computer. Guys, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the one anointed with the Father's spirit. The difference between the Old Testament where the law is outside of us and we are in our own power, our own understanding, trying to follow it the best that we can and the New Testament where Jesus comes and is Christ in us, the hope of glory, is that he is the one. Do you remember this? John the Baptist says, I baptize with water for repentance, but one coming after me is so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals and he will baptize 
in the Holy Spirit. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one, and he will anoint you. God's self, God's thoughts, God's consciousness, the the person God is with his memories and thoughts and opinions and feelings and a sense of humor and everything about him will be installed in your conscious mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? It means we have the spirit of Christ. To have the spirit of Christ means to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to break something. Are we t- so, so when we think of the Holy Spirit as like a mist that settles into the room or that we feel in our body, oh, come on, we can do better. Yes, I feel him in my body, but that's not the goal. The goal is to allow that consciousness that has come into me to be the one that I allow to then lead me in my daily decisions. And when we don't, then we need a revival as like a, going to the hospital because we're dehydrated and malnourished. And then we got to get hooked up to an IV drip to save us because we haven't been participating in what's been available daily. I don't, I like, I love revival. I love the spirit coming in power on our special meetings. And we'll always have them. But the goal, I, I prophesied this over Steve Goss last night. I said, go, I said, Steve, you got, I, got a, I feel like I got a word from the Lord for you. On the one hand, there's discipline where you steadily go after daily your, your Bible and your prayer. You're, going, you're, you're feasting, you're disciplining yourself and you're going after God. But that's dangerous because now you're starting to feel like it depends on you, that you're finishing something that's unfinished, but Jesus actually already finished it. This discipline is to show up at the feast of grace where everything's already established, everything's already finished. You have a fixed and stable identity that's yours as a gift. You're already, you wake up in the morning feeling like you haven't prayed enough. Am I the only one? That I wake up in the morning feeling already off? Feeling already slightly unworthy? Feeling already like my life's coming at me and I'm not quite prepared and sufficient for handling it? Am I the only one? Do you know how I start my prayers every day? Every single day, here's how I start my prayers. Father, I thank you that I'm righteous in Jesus. I thank you that I'm qualified in Jesus. I thank you that you love me and you've revealed it in Jesus. That I'm not coming to you on the basis of my prayer life or my momentum or my obedience, but I'm coming to you on the basis of his prayer life and his momentum and his obedience. I thank you, God, that every good, and every good thing that was in your heart to pour out on Jesus, your heart is to pour it out on me and I don't have to earn it, I just receive it. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that I have perfect access to you, Father, because I'm in Jesus Guys, I have to come through the gospel on purpose every morning as the first order of business every time I start my prayers. I'm not saying I, you have to do it that way too, but I'm just letting you know, if I'm not careful, I'll start to think my life is going as well as my obedience is going, or as well as my sense of fullness of, is going, or as well as my sense of how strong my faith is, or as well as my sense of how my story is being fulfilled. And I'll start to replace the story of the gospel with how, my, how I think my life is going. And I'll actually stop rejoicing in what is already mine and has already been given and letting him live through me, which is what he said the only thing is that the Christian is called to. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you will remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do So your job is to receive my love and to remain in my love. The point of discipline is to not neglect 
letting that mind of Christ that is in us be the voice that we're listening to today, the guidance that we're walking with that day. We are to be little Christs. It was in Antioch that Christians were first called Christians. You remember that? Before that, they were called followers of the way. And nothing wrong with that. I like the way. That's cool because Jesus is the way. But after Antioch, now why Antioch? These were, these were people with a Gentile mission. And Paul says, listen, the gospel gets real clear when you've been a Jew your whole life and you realize it's been a big zero. And then you walk into a town that's never heard this gospel. You say, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I, when I was with you Corinthians, I purposed to know nothing but Christ and, and him crucified. When I was with you, Corinthians, I have an encyclopedic understanding. I have encyclopedic knowledge. He could quote your poets. He could quote your philosophers. He could give you a robust intellectual reasoning for the significance of his worldview and his way of being in the world. He could do that. He could argue as an intellectual for the faith. But when he walked into Corinth, he said, I'm going to pretend none of that is how this works. Because I haven't, this is Paul, I haven't seen it bear fruit. What I've seen bear fruit is not telling people what they should do, but telling them the good news of what God has done. Notice he doesn't just say, well, I purpose to know nothing but Jesus. I love liberals. Can I admit that in here? I love them. No, you're not supposed to love them. Too bad I do. But they turn Jesus too often into only Lord, only example, only teacher, only a model to follow. And they play down, I think, too much Jesus as gift, Jesus as savior, Jesus as the only one that can save us from the real problem, which is not how the world's going, but how it's going in here, which is why the world it is the way it is. In here, not in the church, I mean in here, in my, in, in my, my life. So Paul says, I purposed to know nothing when I was with you except Christ. And you, I'm telling you, that actually could be dangerous. You can turn that into legalism. You got the 613 Old Testament laws. And Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own that keep, comes from keeping the law. You could replace the laws with something even more perfect. Jesus, who actually fulfilled all the heart and spirit and intent behind the laws. Now you're twice as condemned as you were as an Old Testament Jew. You're just a New Testament legalist. And you could be a charismatic New Testament legalist. We could hear that they waited in Jerusalem 10 days praying and we could go, oh my word, that's our problem. I doubt it. We're doing as well as we're believing. And what do I mean believing? Does that mean get busy working to believe? No, that means get busy receiving and seeing Jesus. That means get busy seeing Jesus as more of a treasure, as more able. Get busy seeing Jesus as bigger. Get busy seeing Jesus as your answer, just like Abraham learned to see Jesus as the answer. We need more grace. Well, grace out of balance, brother. Wrong. You're wrong. There's no such thing as too much grace. Well, we got to preach law and grace. No, we don't. No, we do not. We're called to be disciplined in receiving grace, but when we add to Jesus, we end up subtracting from Jesus. So Paul in Galatians 3 asks a brilliant question. He says, does God pour out a spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? 
or because you believe the message. What message? He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he's for you, he's for you, he's for you, he's for you. Receive, receive. Receive your forgiveness. Receive a perfect relationship with the Father. Receive all the power of the Holy Spirit. Receive all the fruit of the Spirit. Receive all the power to, to heal. Receive all the, the strength you need to endure. Receive, receive all the wisdom you need to navigate the difficult complexities of life. Receive. Receive it. And you go, what? Paul says, you started with grace and Jesus. And then someone came in and taught you the Bible in such a way that now you felt that you got to start by grace, but the rest of it depends on you. Do you know that the bulk of the New Testament is people trying to convince Christians to stop drifting from Jesus? First Corinthians, they've drifted from Jesus to supernatural gifts and special teachers and who's better and who's more worthy because that person laid hands on me. Galatians, they started with Jesus and now they're trying to add legalism and circumcision and make sure we follow all the Old Testament stuff, the Jewish stuff. And Paul's pulling his hair out and freaking out and getting super mad. Colossians, they started with Jesus, but now they're adding angels and special fastings and special services to become super Christians. The churches in Asia, in the book of Revelation, each one of them started with Jesus and ended up and drifting. The book of Hebrews, they started with Jesus, but now when it gets really hard, they're tempted to try to go back to just being Jewish to avoid the persecution and the trouble. Most of the New Testament, you go, ah, oh, we would never drift from grace. We would never drift. Paul says, listen, I make it my whole life's work to fully proclaim the mystery, which is Christ in you. And I'm not gonna change the subject ever. You with me? That's enough for today. Uh, prayer team. Okay, so um, I actually got two things. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, I had this vision of a well and how God was um, like, Re refill fill in the well, but before he could refill the well, he had to he had to prime the pump, and um, so I, I felt like the Lord, you know, was saying that's a word for today, that um, that he wants to refill the well. He want he wants to re like like if like if you've been struggling and not experiencing his presence and his joy and. And his hope and all that, like, like he's here for that. He's here for that today. And um, the second thing I got was this morning when I got up, um, my rib was in excruciating pain. Um, so I don't know if anybody here this morning has has anything going on with the rib. Um, if they do, I would like to pray for it. Um, and it's interesting because it bothered me. All morning till I got to church, as soon as I walked in the door this morning, it dissipated. So, so I feel like that's for somebody. I don't know who that's for. If that's for you, um, I would like to pray for that. And like I said, um, anybody you know um, that wants to come forward and just needs a refilling, hasn't felt the presence of God in a while, you know, um, you know, come come up here and get and get prayed for. You know, because 
because he, want, he wants to meet you today. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're with us, that you glorify Jesus, that you help us make much of Jesus. I ask God for more, that we would rise up, that we would lean into this grace, that we would receive your grace, that we wouldn't wait for the, the IV drip of special times and seasons after we've neglected, but we would take, take the time to receive and rest and then take the time to slow down and allow the mind of Christ to lead us daily. We are so grateful for you, Jesus. Amen.